Welcome to Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. My name is Guy, and I'm from Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined, as always, by Hui Huin, the Alabama woodworker. Say hello, Hui. That's right, the Alabama woodworker. Hello. And Sean Walker of Simple Co. fame. Say hello, Sean. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Uh, This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodwork community and give you some of our own perspectives on how we get things done in our shops. And we also have a Patreon account. Right now, we only have one level, and we are simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this wonderful podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. And uh, I think we should just get right into it. So we, you have the first question. All right, this question is from Peter, and he asks, if I got one of those expensive Forest Woodworker 2 combination blades, the modified one with a flat bottom cut, would I fall in love with blade changes? Will I fall out of love with blade changes? Are they really that much better that I wouldn't feel the need to change that I do now? I much prefer the cuts I'm getting now with the specific grinds compared to combination blades I've used in the past, the better quality home center brands, that is. Is there a time, even with those expensive combination blades, that you all go back to specifically a rip or cross-cut blade? Thanks for the input. I have both a specific rip and cross-cut blade for my table saw. I never change out the blade. Um, I almost exclusively... What do you keep in there? I, I keep a combination blade. I keep a combination, combination blade. general purpose. Uh, right now, well, I, I, I've used... <laughs> You know, we had a discussion about this uh, right now. Yeah, and that's, I'm like, I'm like um, <laughs> setting you up so you can make sure to tell people the difference between general purpose and combination blades because that taught me something. Yes. Oh, gosh. Now I got to remember what the heck it is. Uh, I know one of them has, has the alternating tooth bevel and then one has a flat grind where the top is flat and then the, the dog ear corners are clipped off. Um, so it's kind of like, um, like, uh, isn't that the combination? It, it, you know, I can't remember if it's a general purpose or the combination, but it's one of the two. The point is they're both designed to be used both in the cross cut and rip capacity. Mm-hmm. I have a cross cut and rip specific blade and I bought them years ago. I think they came in a, in a set with infinity. Um, like you paid one price, you get these like three blades. If you buy them individually, it'd be like, you know, 300 bucks, yeah. you know, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, so I bought the, bought the set. Well, I, I've, I've never, I think I used it once the rip blade, but I've never used the cross cut blade. I feel like I get a pretty decent, a pretty decent cut on the combination or the general purpose blade as it is, uh, both in the rip and the cross cut capacity. Now, I will use a rip blade. Let's say if I'm ripping like some really thick, like walnut stock or something like that, right? Like, you know, the, I don't know, like a 12 quarter, 10 quarter, something like that. Then I might switch out to a rip, rip blade because there are fewer teeth and the gullets are a little bit deeper and I might get a better cut in that situation. And, you know, blade might run a little cooler and maybe a little truer, but for the most part, I stay with, with the combination or general purpose blade. Um, I, I I don't know, Sean. Do you do you have a rip blade that's specific, a, speci- a rip specific blade or a crosscut specific blade? No, I I stick to the. I just have a woodworker two. It's an all purpose. It's an ATB blade mm-hmm. um, that I I keep in the saw pretty much. But I don't do a whole lot with 
plywoods. Um, but when I do cut it, cross cut it and rip it, I mean, I don't get any tear out. If I do, it's super, super, super small. And, you know, I can just sand it away, but I very, I don't, I don't switch out blades. Yeah. Some use white Oak plywood sometime. You'll, you'll understand tear out when you're doing a cross cut with one of those blades. With the uh, combination or general purpose? With the general purpose blade, yeah. it'll, it'll rip it to shreds. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that would be an instance guy where you actually do keep a rip blade for that or a cross cut blade for that sort of situation. Correct. No, I don't. Oh, you don't. I keep in my saw right now. I have a Ridge Carbide General Purpose Blade. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a forty tooth, just like the General, or like the uh, Woodworker too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying it out. I've had it in there for a while. Unfortunately, I haven't really made that much mm-hmm. since I put it in there. Yeah. Um, I have been very happy with it though. And that actually, that is, that's an, that's an ATB alternate tooth bevel, mm-hmm. but it actually has a flat chipper in it. Oh, okay. It, it, it doesn't so, have the corners cut off like the, um, no, it doesn't have the corners cut off. So it actually has a flat tooth in there that actually gives you a flat bottom. Nice. Okay. Which is kind of nice. So if you're doing like a quarter inch groove, mm-hmm. you can just, move the fence over an eighth of an inch and you right. get a nice flat bottom. It actually works pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. I don't think the carbide is as, or there is as much carbide on the tooth as there is on the forest woodworker too. Yeah. I um, but both blades are excellent. You can't go wrong with them Yep. at work where we're primarily ripping boards on our table saws. We have, Tenru industrial ripping blades mm-hmm. on both saws that are standard eighth inch kerf. They're, you know, like 25 or 28 tooth or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they just chew through stuff. Yeah. We at one time had tested out some thin kerf blades, the Tenru industrial blades. Yeah. How were they? Man, they were awesome. Really? Just fantastic. There's only one problem. Guess what that is? The fact that it's not an eighth of an inch. The fact that it's we have saw stops. So what does that mean? Like you can't you can't use a thin curve rip blade on a saw stop. Only if you take the riving knife out. Oh they don't make they don't make riving knives anymore for the thin curve blades because they are, they have decided that you don't need a thin curve blade with their saws. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So, but we cannot operate saws in our shop without riving. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to actually, we gave them back to the saw saw blade guy. Yeah. We got a really good company in town that I'm going to plug them. It's accurate cutting technologies Mm -hmm. and it's a, family-owned business in town and they come out to our shop once a week and pick up blades and drop off blades and they do router bits and everything else and it's it's very nice to have those you know when andy comes in and he grabs your stuff and asks quite you know answers your questions and really cares about what you're doing in the shop yeah and how he can help so he's been he's been a big help to me anyways yeah but, um, I, I did a quick Google and I found that Sawstop has a two millimeter riving knife. Yeah, they did, but they they stopped making it. Uh, I can buy it right now. It has an add to cart button. 
whether or not really they're... on SawStop site. It's SawStop dot three D cart stores dot com. It says SawStop part huh. store. Huh. I don't know yeah, if it's. I, I looked for it once, and then I read an article from SawStop saying they stopped making them. Hmm. Yeah, maybe it's a third party. I don't know, but yeah. I mean, I found something. Hmm. Okay. If Peter's already used to switching out blades and he's comfortable, do you think he's missing out on anything? Nope. No. I think. I think. You mean missing out by by switching out blades? No, by not having a forest woodworker too. Oh. I'm getting to the crux of his question. Is I think what he's saying is I'm perfectly happy doing, and I'm I've gotten used to this. Am I missing out on anything by not having a combination blade or a general purpose blade? I think I think the answer is no. I think he's no. if he's used to doing it. If he's if he's happy with switching out from a rip and a cross cut blade, and he's got good blades already, I, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So yeah, you're not going to gain anything. I don't think. Yeah. If it's working for you, keep on keeping on. So, Sean, the next question is yours. All right. This is from Josh. I really enjoy the podcast, and I always learn a lot listening to your show. My question is about finishing. I've been noticing that several woodworkers that I follow apply a glossy clear coat for the first few layers, and then they will finish with the semi-gloss clear coat. What's the purpose of starting with a shinier coat and then finish with a less shiny coat? Thanks in advance, Josh. Well, this is a good question, Josh. Uh, sheens other than gloss contain what they call flattening agents, which are oftentimes uh, silica. And uh, there are other types as well. But, you know, once they're stirred into the finish, that will reduce the gloss by creating uh, what they call micro roughness on the surface that scatters the light randomly. And obviously, the more flattening agent that you put in there, uh, the more that you put in the finish, rather, uh, the lower the sheen is going to be. It's going to give you a flat, a satin, or semi-gloss. And with all of that in mind, I believe a lot of the woodworkers have the the mindset that if you start with gloss and use it up to your last coat, that you're going to get a clear finish, as they believe oftentimes the flattening agent can cause a bit of cloudiness and it won't give you as clear of a finish. Now, personally, I mean, I've not done any tests to back up this theory but I mean, I personally always just stick to applying one sheen throughout the entire finishing process most of the time. And that's either a satin or semi-gloss. I mean, I've read um, several woodworkers, notable woodworkers that will do the gloss and then finish with the, mm -hmm. uh, the desired sheen. And I've read some folks that don't follow that. So, I, I mean, honestly, it's, it's a test it, see what you think personally, if you can tell a difference on wiping varnishes and stuff like that. I just stick to the same sheen, but what about you, Hui? Do you start with a gloss and end with a your preferred sheen, or how do you do it? I don't start with a gloss and then go to a lower sheen. I, I want to say, Guy, it was you originally who had told me about that, about, uh, I think, deft. With deft finish, you wanted to, or polyurethane, you wanted to go with the glossier finish and then step down. Is that correct? Uh, no. <laughs> that wasn't me. He was talking to somebody okay. else. Okay. I probably wasn't um, talking to somebody else. I'm sorry. I'm no, it's okay. Um, yeah. Sean, by the way, that was a very, very good answer when you started off uh, the response to this question. Only when I started all off? That, all, that, all that is exactly right, what you had said. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Great answer. I do not do the clear 
and then the last as a, a satin or a matte finish. Speaking to Freddie about this a couple times, he's a big believer in that. He says it gives you much better clarity when applying, especially when you're applying a film finish like a, a like a polyurethane. Mm. So I will bow to Freddie's wisdom on this. If Freddie says there's a difference, there's a difference. <laughs> now, and I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as a smart ass. I'm just saying, you know, if Freddie says that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Yeah. I, I, I believe him. Mm-hmm. I've never tried it. So I, I think that if we tried it, there we might see a difference. Right. A lot of the time I'm using shellac, yeah. which is pretty much almost a, a semi to high gloss finish to begin with. Yeah. In that case, so I guess I am in the case of shellac. So I'm applying shellac, getting rid of the dust nibs with a 600 grit sandpaper, it is flattening the finish a little bit, but not all that much. All I'm really doing is flattening the surface. I mean, flat, not in, in sheen, but flat as in surface level. Mm-hmm. And then I'm putting more coats on. And then the last one I may rub out with, you know, wax and steel wool to get a more of a satin finish, which I prefer. Yeah, yeah. I know I know that doesn't answer this question. <laughs> but I think I think it does in a way. So it's one of those things you just play with it, get a test board, mm-hmm. you know, tape off half of it and do one, one way and the other side, the other way and see if you can tell the difference. I bet, I bet you will. I bet you will. Yeah. I haven't done that test, so I can't say definitely, but I, I think you will. Yeah. I'm not sure. I've never done the test. I've always just slapped it on there and stayed with the same sheen. Yeah. That's why I've always done it. Especially with you know, like wiping poly, which I use a lot of too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that uh, hopefully that helps, Josh. We're going to go to Guy, who's going to right. talk about his first question. Yeah, this is from Tom, and Tom says I've been building small furniture projects, shaper ta- shaker tables, end tables, walnut table, and some lounge chairs. It sounds pretty advanced uh and my hobby shop using a skill saw or a handsaw when a bandsaw has been called for bless your heart tom uh <laughs> my furniture projects are getting more complicated a dresser more lounge chairs and i'm thinking it's time to get a bandsaw but which one i don't see me doing much resawing, although i don't want to completely foreclose that possibility i've thought about the following options the Jet 14-inch Deluxe Pro, which is a one and a quarter horsepower at about $1,000. The Grizzly 555LX, which is another 14-inch saw at $750. The Rikon Tabletop Deluxe 10-inch, which is a half horsepower at $440. And then he also says, I note that Lowe's has a Porter Cable 13-inch and a Delta 13-inch. But at their price point, I think I'd be better off with the Grizzly. What are your thoughts? Many thanks, Tom. So, Tom, if you're in that $1,000 price range with the, let's say, the Jet, it sounds like you're in the $750 to $1,000 price range when you're looking at the the Grizzly mm-hmm. or the Jet. Uh, the, the Rikon tabletop, um, I would kind of stay away from that. Mm-hmm for your main table saw or, or band saw. I've got one of those. I use it as my secondary one. I keep a thin blade in it so I can do curve cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Porter cable, 13 inch and Delta 13 inch. I think Sean can tell you all about the Porter cable. Yeah. 
Is that what you had, Sean? Yeah, that's what I had. All those saws that you just mentioned are of the cast iron type variety. In other words, they've got a cast frame. I think the Grizzly LX may have, have, I'll have to look, I guess I should have looked this up ahead of time. But I think that has uh, cast iron wheels also. The the, the Jet 14-inch Deluxe Pro at $1,000 definitely has the cast iron wheels instead of the aluminum wheels, which is a big thing. That is, yeah. Because because it gives you more, uh, I guess I want to say torque through the cut. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll have to um, no, you're, you know, ask a, a rocket scientist sometime about that. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right there. The physics of it. But since it's a heavier wheel, it, it, it provides more more torque. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in that $1,000 price range, I did look this up. And Grizzly has their 17-inch, which is a steel frame saw, the European style mm-hmm. frame. Mm-hmm. I think it's on sale right now, and it's what September sixteenth when we're recording this. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. Good point. Good point. For a th- for like a thousand bucks, their anniversary edition for like a thousand bucks, and when you you go to their website, a thing comes up saying, "Hey, do you want an extra ten percent off?" Yeah. Here's a coupon code for it. Yeah. So for that nine hundred dollars. You can get a bare bones, seventeen inch steel frame saw. Yeah. Now I had that saw, not that particular trim level, so to speak, mm-hmm. of that seventeen inch grizzly saw. But that thing was a tank. That will be the last saw you ever buy. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't don't um, get the porter cable. I mean, yeah, not to be an a hole. I mean, it served me <laughs> fine. I was able to build furniture with it. It's just. You're limited to the six inch cut. I did install a riser block and it just, no, don't. It was an aftermarket riser block that was made for jet, but fit that saw. I had to do some cutting. Yep. Just don't. Yeah. Just sp- If you're going to spend a grand on these other ones, don't even look at the, the Porter cable. And I'm guessing the same for the Delta. Uh, just stay away from those. And he mentions that, you know, he doesn't plan on doing much resawing. Oh, you will. He will. You will. You will be doing resawing, especially if you're going to be doing a lot more of these like lounge chairs and dressers and things like that. You're going to trust me. You're going to want that one inch material and you're going to be buying, you know, six quarter, eight quarter material and wanting to rip that down. Yeah. Yeah. Stick with power, stick with uh, accuracy and Mm -hmm. build quality and and get with the, the grizzly or. Man, that Something is a like great that. price. I'm looking at that. That yeah. is that's a yeah, isn't, like, isn't like a thousand dollars and there's a ten percent off on it I, right I, now. I, I am I'm not seeing the ten percent off, but it might oh there it is. There it is. I see it. You gotta scroll down. Yep, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, and I think the yeah, coupon code you've got to enter is God's Woodshop. Oh yeah, right. No, no, <laughs> no don't, don't, don't believe it. <laughs> oh, it's it's an email thing. It's an email. Like it's an email. Yeah, yeah. yeah enter your email. 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 You get ten percent off. With yeah, yeah. Go to a yeah. go to Google and search for ten minute email and get a temporary email address just to get the coupon code. Oh, <laughs> there geez, you go. John, you're, you're so awful. <laughs> if they're going to give you ten percent off, let them send you a couple emails for a couple months and then cancel it and then <laughs> yeah. opt out. But, you know, be cool about it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I hope that answers your question, Tom. Um, 
my my opinion on it is if you have a better bandsaw, you will find uses for it. I use my, and I've said this a hundred times, I use my bandsaw more than I use my table saw. I, I would agree with that because I found myself cutting tenons on the ta- on the bandsaw on this project. Yeah, you got, a, you got a nice, you got the big hammer. Ooh, Sean, that's so <laughs> fancy. Yeah. Um, but you, you went from a porter cable to a nice bandsaw. Now you're finding uses for it. Yeah. Because it actually works the way it's a bandsaw is supposed to. Yeah. Yep. You know, there's other things out there too. I know Rikon makes a good bandsaw. Uh, they've got a couple models. I think it's like a 14, they call it like a 1412 or something like that. Yeah. Which is a bare bones thing. I didn't get the, the uh, or is that Laguna? That's Laguna. Oh yeah, Laguna. The Lagunas are too short for me. Yeah. That's one thing I didn't like about them. Anyways, I'm getting off subject. Are there any so, are there any bandsaws other than Powermatic though that are that height? Because even my hammer is low to the ground. Really, I believe so. No, the, the Lagunas are really low to the ground. I mean, like at knee level. <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 the the bandsaws are are fine. I'm not I'm not knocking Laguna. Just the the they were just too short for me. They were like two or three inches shorter than the other ones. Mm. And I've never, I've never noticed it before, but as soon as I saw it, I was like, I made this thing short. All right. I think we've hammered that one out. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. We're back to you, you, Hui. Yep. So this question is from Bob and he says, I am a retired rocket scientist who now obsesses over (laughs) rather than missiles, which, (laughs) which means I take precision to meaningless extremes. Oh, you're in good company. Uh, I am replacing my 1977 Craftsman with a Powermatic 64B. That is a great contractor saw. Bought sight unseen. I have a Vega 50-inch fence, which I like quite a bit. The Craftsman will be donated to Habitat. Which of the two fences should I send along to Habitat, or are they just a horse apiece? My skill level is intermediate. If at all helpful, the items I make are cabinets and tables used either at home or donated for charity auctions. Great man. Uh, the blade is a forest woodworker too. bench dog router table for the left wing. So the Vega fence, if you guys are not familiar, I'm sure you guys are, uh, you know, Sean and, and Guy are familiar. But for our listeners out there, the F- Vega fence is an aftermarket fence. I'm guessing Bob replace the Craftsman fence because the Craftsman fence was probably not nearly as nice or accurate as as uh, as the aftermarket Vega fence is. The front of the fence is round a round tubular rail. And then the back of the fence is, I believe, uh, some type of angle iron. And uh, there's a UHMW or like a, a, a nylon bolt or something that the that rides along the back rail of the fence. And it locks down very similar to a Beesmeyer fence, but it is round tubular uh, rail as opposed to square rail. The Powermatic tubular, dude. tubular, yeah, round. Uh, the Powermatic 64B has a what I, I would call maybe a more traditional Beesmeyer fence where the front rail is actually a square tube. I've seen the Powermatic 64B fence. It's a pretty beefy fence. My thought is that, you know, if you've got the Powermatic 64B I would probably just keep the fence on there, but see, I'm I've always, I've come from a Beesmeyer fence, and I'm very used to them. Now, something that's nice about the Vega 50 inch is that it does have a micro adjuster on it. I don't know if you know you might be in the camp of like, oh, I've just used this so often, I've gotten so used to it. 
And like we said before, if you're in the of the camp of, hey, this works for me, I love it, I've used it so for so long and I've just become so used to it, that might be a case where, you know what, maybe just put the Vega 50-inch on the Powermatic. For me personally, I would probably keep the Powermatic fence on the Powermatic saw and then donate the Vega 50-inch. But, you know, it, it, I think it comes out to creature comforts. You know, if, if you're really used to that fence, that might be the one that you should stick with you know is that fence on the 64b is that the same fence that was would be on like their pm whatever thousand yeah it's a it's a, it's a t style it's called the accu fence i think is that the name yeah something like that yeah. Yeah. yeah so if it yeah if it's the same fence it's on like the pm 2000 or whatever i would probably just keep that fence guy i know you you use the incra fence if you mm-hmm. did not use the Incra fence, and would you stick with the AccuFence with your Powermatic? I, when I bought my uh, Powermatic table saw, I, I sold the fence. I put the Incra on it. If you didn't have the Incra, would you? Would yeah, you I would just stay with it. In okay. answer to the question, it's what you had mentioned before. Mm-hmm. If you're comfortable with something and it works well for you, and you find and you as the user find it to be a really good way to go for you stick with it yeah that's my that's my opinion on it mm-hmm. i mean i cannot imagine having a saw without the anchor fence on it sure every time i use a saw that doesn't have one i'm like oh my god <laughs> uh, i don't i i've you know i don't trust the scale on it yeah i'm still you know putting it over to let's say 12 inches and I'm still pulling out a tape measure and measuring it yep. to make sure it's a true 12 inches. Dang, um, that's unfortunate. Well, that's just, that's, that's the world I live in at, at work. Yep. So, you know, when I come home and I start using my table, saw, I put it at whatever, and it's at whatever within a couple thousands. And I barely have to look at it. Just bing, you're done. But I, I'm used to it. Yeah. And I, and I said, I will move that from saw to saw. I really don't see me upgrading from PM 2000, but um, I said, if, if, if that works for you and you really like it and it's like, my gosh, I can't imagine life without it. Mm -hmm. Don't change it. Don't just move the, move the fence over to the new saw. That's my opinion. Call it good. That's my two cents. Yep. Yep. The Vega 50, what would you get feature wise? If both of them are accurate, what do you get feature wise on the Vega fifty that you wouldn't have on the micro adjust? The micro adjust, yeah, that's one. I think it has something that allows, and I don't know the details behind it, but I believe it has something on the fence that allows it to easily clamp to um, like fixtures and jigs and things like that. That maybe the AccuFence doesn't have. Well, there you go. That answers that for you. Yeah, keep it. Yeah, keep it. I mean, he yeah. said which I like quite a bit. So. Yeah, yeah, you'll like it quite a bit on your new saw too. <laughs> yeah, you will. <laughs> yeah, but good on you, man. You've 1977 Craftsman you used for all those years, and now you're going up to a Powermatic 64B. That's awesome. That's a great upgrade. All right, Sean. Next one's yours. All right, this is from Christopher. Love the show. I have heard throughout several episodes that each of you are stocking up on hundreds of board feet of lumber for potential future projects. Is there a specific dimension, specifically thickness and length that you typically look for? I'm assuming that in order to achieve a specific width, you can always glue boards together. But for posts or, say, table legs, is that what you do as well? 
Or for those specific projects, do you just custom order a thicker stock in order to get the desired thickness? Hope my question makes sense and apologize if it's basic. Keep the episodes coming, Chris. To fur, actually, not just Chris. <laughs> um, this is a packed question. There's questions within this question, multiple questions. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to try to take a stab at, at each of them. And to begin with, is there a specific dimension, specifically thickness and length that you look for when you're buying lumber? Uh, for thickness, I try to plan a few projects out where I'm just a hobbyist. So I've got an idea of, okay, I want to make a table, then a credenza, then a this or a that. I try to think ahead at least two projects, um, not complete design, but a general idea. Okay, I'm going to be making credenza. I know it's got four legs. I'm probably going to need eight quarter for that. Uh, I'm going to be making a side table. It's also going to have four legs. I need eight quarter for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm pretty much trying to determine how much eight quarter that I need because, I mean, the four quarter is easy. I just buy 200 board feet, 150 board feet, and I know that I'll be be set on that. We're pretty close. But for eight quarter, uh, I would probably, for every 100 board feet or four quarter, I'll probably buy 30 to 40 board feet of eight quarter. I personally just do not stock a lot of eight quarter lumber on hand unless... I'll find some really good stock or I get a good price on that. And so it's pretty much for every 100 board feet of four quarter, I get 30 to 40 of eight quarter. Now the links, it's, you know, I, it's just whatever they have at the time that I need to buy that species. So if it's walnut or cherry or something like that, I'll go to one hardwood dealer and he only has eight foot boards. Whereas if I go buy Babinga, the last batch that I got of that, they were 12 foot boards and mm. I just had to buy what was available. Yeah. They were 21 inches wide and, 12 feet long. They were huge and Whoa. heavy. Yeah. And expensive. Uh, but I had to cut them down to get them in the, stand them up in the garage, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so about the wits and I thought about this for a while cause it, it's difficult for me because I change my mind every time I go to a, a hardwood dealer, I try to get lumber as wide as I can, but I need to make sure that the lumber is flat. Mm-hmm. And if the lumber is wide and, but it's twisted or warped again, depending on how bad and depending on the your yield is going to be, your yield isn't going to be as good on it. Right. Right. On yeah. what? A wide, wide board. Yeah. Board. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. And well, that's what my very next sentence is going to be is it depends on what I'm making. If I get a 12, 12 inch wide board, that's 10 feet long, but it's a little twisted. I can, but if I know that I'm making something small, I can get small pieces out of it. I can sometimes work around that twist. It just depends. Uh, ultimately, I try to get as wide as I can to have more options because sometimes if I want some straighter green material, I can go to the outer edges of the wider board. Um, but that's my theory on on widths. But having said that, um, I still try to eyeball as many boards as I can because my lumber dealer doesn't separate by, by quality. And oftentimes I'm able to pick up boards that are figured at the same price. And if that's the case, I don't care how wide they are. I'm just going to grab them. Uh, I mean, they don't they don't differentiate between like select and better and yeah. too common. Nope, it's hmm. one price. Really? You pick through it, you get what you yeah. want. Yep. Oh wow. So I uh, I'll try to go as wide as I can, and then I'll try to look at what are do we have any figured boards in here? Because I've been I purchased maple before, and I can see some figured maple, and I'm like, I don't care how wide they are. If they're narrow, I'll use them for boxes. But you're or you're going there and picking through the stack. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go as wide as I can, and then I'll keep an eye on quality, essentially for the for the widths. And that's my uh, my take on 
on Christopher's question here of about what type and how wide. What about you, Guy? What is your theory on what thickness you go with and what widths? I, I don't really have a theory on. <laughs> um, I when I, the the lumber I keep in my shop is typically air dried stuff, and it's typically from the local people. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are from my own. That's for my own personal projects. If I've got a, a commission piece or something I'm building for somebody else, I order lumber from the lumber yard, and I, I request you know select and better. So all the boards are 90% clear on at least one side. They're at least six inches wide and I think like eight feet long or something like that. And the boards are really good. Um, I've got a really good hardwood dealer. Mm -hmm. The stuff I keep in my shop when I buy that stuff from, you know, literally my phone, it says Bob the wood guy. (laughs) Uh, who's this old guy living out in the middle of nowhere with a sawmill mm. and piles of lumber everywhere. And you just go there and just, you know, I need a hundred board feet of cherry. And he's just got, yeah, there's that stack over there. Each layer is 25 board feet and you can't pick through it. If you want that board on the bottom, you got to get all the stuff on top of it. And there's a lot of the guys around here are like that. Yeah. It's like, they'll let you, somewhat pick through but not really it's just like hey those stacks are like that you know that each each layer is so many board feet and you just pick the the boards off maybe maybe they all got together over coffee one day and decided that's how they were <laughs> but, um but there's really only like three guys i buy from yeah. and every now and then i'll come across something on craigslist that has some stuff and it's like you know i've got a my grandfather just passed away. And I'm sure you've read this before. My grandfather just passed away and he's got a bunch of wood in the barn. Not sure what it is, but here's a picture. Yep. And you look at it and it's all eight quarter, you know, it looks like eight quarter cherry. So you call the guy up and say, do you still have it? Yeah. And you drive out there and you fit as much as you can in the back of your truck because he's only charging $2 a board foot because yep. he doesn't know any better. Sure. So, that's how I buy lumber most of the time, <laughs> pretty much by the seat of my pants. Yeah. <laughs> um, and whatever they have is what I get. Now, I prefer to buy eight quarter stock. Yeah. I and mean, we're talking about before about why I use a bandsaw so much. I actually enjoy the milling process of lumber more than probably the actual building of stuff. I like taking these thick, gnarly, twisted boards and turning them into usable stock Hmm. that you can make furniture out of. I I really enjoy that process. So a lot of times I'll take, and and, and plus with eight quarter boards, I can usually get three quarter, you know, two, three quarter inch thicknesses of stock through. I get better color match. I get better grain match. Hmm. And I try to use that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. What about you, Hui? So the Lumber that I have on hand is the same as you, Guy. It's sort of my personal stash that I use for my personal projects that I've acquired over the years. And again, it's it's mostly all air-dried, maybe a couple of boards here and there that are kiln-dried. But it's stuff that I was able to get on the cheap that I keep. And uh, a couple of boards here and there are really beautiful. And I 
stashing them away. And one of these days I'm actually going to use them for something, you know, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to keep them there forever. Projects never, ever good enough for those boards. Um, a lot like you guy, when I have like a commission or something very specific, I, I go and buy the lumber to get the lumber that I need and, and want and, and, and sort of specified to the dealer. Like, Hey, I need, these to be a certain width because I'm I want five boards to make this tabletop. And so they're like, okay, fine, no problem. We got it. If I am buying for my own personal, I really don't have that much of a choice when I'm going to very much like you guy and seeing some of these people that that have boards um, you know stacked in their yards or whatever. Some of the places that I go to are more like mill shops, like, for instance, American Hardwood out in uh, Tony, Alabama is not so much a hardwood dealer, although they do sell to the general public. They're much more of a mill shop. And so you can pick through boards, but they kind of really don't have time to babysit you and let you do that. So you kind of have to be efficient with their time. And they don't have. Hey, screw them. You're the customer. <laughs> yeah. Say, hey, bud. <laughs> well, I'm going to buy this stuff. Well, I'll tell you what. They'll probably tell you to hit the road because they're like, we ain't got time for this. Well, again, they're mostly a mill shop. They do they do sell hardwood and they have a lot. They've got a big warehouse and they sell to the general public. And it's a very, you know, I've got a good relationship with them. But a lot of times it's stuff that, you know, I don't need. Um, I don't need them to look a specific way, you know, like building a workbench or something like that. Uh, yeah. I, you know, so I would think though, you would go to a place like that and you'd look at the guy and if he's giving you grief, mm -hmm. I, I figured you just look at him and say, don't you know who I am? Oh, I'm the Alabama. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm the Alabama. Woodworker. I am the Alabama woodworker. Mm -hmm. dude. <laughs> and, and he would say, and there is the door. You will submit. <laughs> But but a lot of times the boards that I'm getting um, are going to be anywhere from eight to 12 feet long. I try to get eight quarter as often as I can. But from my personal stash, I really don't have that much eight quarter on hand. Just not that much eight quarter because it's it's really. Yeah, yeah it's just a little bit hard to come by. Um, so I, yeah. I look I look for it when I go to places like that. Sure, sure. There's, you know, the guy out in the woods. I, I look for the A quarter stuff. Yeah. In terms of width, oftentimes I'm looking for about like somewhere around eight inches wide is what I'm I typically try to go for. Kind of for the same reason that you mentioned, guy, is that you know you get too wide of a board and you, you just don't get that good of a yield um, from it. I don't understand how you don't. Well, if the board is really, let's say it's it's four quarter, mm -hmm. and it's got like a quarter inch twist in it. You've got to cut it up to get that twist out. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a half inch thick. But say it doesn't have a twist in it. Well, that's but that's why that's why I qualified that before. I said if it's a if it's a wide board with a big twist or a big cup in it, you're going to get a lower yield. You can get a, a lower yield out if you're trying to keep the width. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to say. I don't come across a a lot of boards that are, let's say, greater than ten inches, right? Um, no, it really depends on the species. Yeah, what I find, anyways, I, I see maple and ash in a lot of very wide boards when I go to these places. Mm -hmm. Cherry, it all seems like it's like six to ten inches wide. Mm -hmm. I, I rarely see anything wider than that. Walnut, the same thing. Mm -hmm. I rarely see boards wider than that. I do. I do see some that you know are are wider, but they're they're not that common. Anyways, we could go on like this forever. I will yeah. say I have a third dealer that I try to visit 
and I see him post on Facebook all kinds of beautiful logs that he cuts. And then I'm like, you're going to have dimensional lumber? Nope. All slabs, all slabs, all slabs. I'm like, God, quit. Give me some <laughs> dimensional lumber out of that good stuff. It just drives me nuts. All yeah, slabs, all must, slabs, you know, all slabs. Well, that just because they can get, you know, like five, $6,000 for some of those things. It's insane. Some of these slabs we buy at work, they're, they're, they're like, you know, four grand. And I'm like, what are you, are you people stupid? <laughs> you got to pay the price. Oh, I don't get it. Yeah. Either. They, because they buy it all online. They, you know, they got the guys with the picture mm-hmm. and they're standing next to it. And it's beautiful. <laughs> but the guy. Threw the, water on the, it. it yeah. It, yeah, it's coming from somewhere in New Jersey, yeah. and they got to ship it here, and it's like, uh... well, guy, you got the last question, man. I got the last question. Mm-hmm. Is it the last? Is it the last question? I'm having so much fun. Yeah. Um, this is from Zach. It says, "Hey, fellas, big fan of the show. He really enjoys his specificity." Now that's the third show I've got to say specificity. <laughs> you bring to the craft. Question. You guys talk about not trusting your miter saws for accurate crosscuts, capex excluded, of course. So I assume your trusted method is with a table saw. How do you manage getting accurate cuts on large pieces? I know trying to shave an eighth inch off the end of an eight by six four quarter piece of lumber is not easily done with a miter jig or a sled on a table saw. How do you get that perfect 90 on something other than a miter saw on a large and long stock. P.S. I do not trust my miter saw either, Zach. <laughs> so, Zach, before I got the K-Pax, and if I had a board that long, I would cut it on my table saw with a crosscut sled. I've just cleared all the stuff out that it could get in the way of it, and I'd try to rig something up so I could clamp it in there so it didn't move around. It's a pain in the butt. It really is. Mm-hmm. You got an eight foot board, six inches wide, and you're trying to shave uh, an eighth of an inch off the end of it on a miter on a crosscut sled. It's tough. It can be done, but it's the most accurate way of doing it. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of is if you have a miter saw you don't trust, you can cut it with the miter saw and then hit it with like a sheeting board, but you're still going to have to support that big yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, do you guys have any anything that you can help Zach out with? Not anything additional from what you I mean, if you, if, mm. if you had a, an eight foot long, six inch wide board and you take quarter, eighth inch off the end of it and get a perfect 90 degree cut on it, and you didn't have a capex, what would you do? Oh man, I would be screwed because I, I wouldn't have the room. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Could you clamp it down and maybe use, um, you know, a track saw and just support the ends of the track with um, uh, the material? So hanky. I mean, I, I, I can't think of any other way than maybe. There is no other way. Or, or, or the crosscut sled. But that, I mean, yeah, I mean, what what do you have in your what do you have in your shop that could cut perfect nineties, miter or table saw or track saw? I mean, there's that's it. Yeah, that's by, it. Unless you want to do it by hand and then shoot it. Yeah, yeah, but but still an eight foot long board. You've got to balance that piece. You've got to probably put something underneath it to keep it level. Yep. Because your shoot your shooting board is definitely not going to support an eight foot long board. No, no, no. But right? you, yeah, there's a. Uh, 
but you can make a bench hook that's the same thickness and put it on the other end and it'll support it. But I'm yeah. I'm trying to think here, like I I can't think of the last time that I had an eight foot long board that I needed at a perfect ninety. Now, if I'm gluing up a tabletop, I'll just leave it long, right? And then I'll glue up the tabletop, and then I'll just put the track saw on there and right, no problem. Uh, but just an eight foot long six inch piece. I can't think of the last time I needed to do that. I do it 50 times a day. At, at your shop? Yeah, it makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Not with four quarter material, but like with plot and I'm building cabinets. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to, you know, cut pieces that are, you know, three feet, four feet, six feet, eight feet long. Do you have a capex at work? Yep. All right, well. Well, you're not much help. You're not much help, guy. <laughs> of course we do. Well, I mean, you could all take our stuff, all, our stuff, all our stuff is at festival. Festival is one of our uh, benefactors, right, right? Since their since their headquarters are here in Indianapolis. But you also have a, a sliding table saw as well, too, at work, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. So I, I guess your options are table saw. I mean, you could still do it with a track saw. I mean, you could back that piece up with something wider so that you can lay your track on it easier. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is it, And I see what you're saying too, guys. Like, yeah, it's kind of a janky. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to figure yeah. something out. I was hoping you guys would have some better answers because I saw this question. I took it because really he, you know, reached out to me with the specificity line. <laughs> but then I read, I read the, I read the question. It's like this is a damn good question, and I was hoping you guys had something better. To <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> Look, what cuts? Perf- what cuts clean nineties table saw? M- maybe the miter saw. Yeah. I mean, you're limited. Can't do yeah. the bandsaw. I mean, you're limited. It is what it is. Well, unfortunately. Zach, I guess I guess you're going to have to drop some coin and get a cave That's <laughs> the answer. Look at the, you know, I, I I have not used one. I know we you had problems with yours, mm-hmm. but I still hear a lot of good things about that Bosch. I do too. I heard really good things about the Bosch. I talked to a guy last week who has one, and he says it's just I, I'm going to go over his shop probably in the next couple of weeks. And when I do, it's going to be the first thing I do is I'm going to go over there and I'm going to try that damn thing, mm-hmm. that darn thing, and and see if it works as well. If he does, and if he does, if it does, you know, great. That's, That's I, another I one. I think those are like five, five or six hundred dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me see. Which still is a lot of. That's not cheap, not cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not the fifteen hundred dollars that the Capex is. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've heard great things about the Bosch as well, and I, I bet you could dial that in as long as you're not rough yeah. with it, taking it to a job site every day and throwing it around. Mm-hmm. It'll hold its, it'll hold yeah. it. I had a Makita before I had the Capex, mm-hmm. and it was pretty good. You just had to be really careful on how you used it. Right. It it had deflection, but but then again, I'm, I'm a perfectionist, mm-hmm. so it being off, you know five thousandths over eight inches to me was a big deal mm-hmm. to some people it might not be and it all depended on how you held the handle when you when you cut the saw yeah the saw. yeah I, I run into that with my hitachi like if i pull it down i could literally shift it left to right very easily mm-hmm. so i can make yeah. my own <laughs> custom a- angles on the fly <laughs> <laughs> 
That is do, a benefit you did not know it had. I can do segmented bowl or segmented pieces real easy. Just bam, 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 bam. You need a 38 <laughs> degree. All right, hold on. Here we go. Bam. But you know, there, there's some people that swear by just getting a regular uh, non-sliding compound miter saw, just getting a miter saw. I used to have this. I think I still have it in my in my shed. I got to dig for it. This Craftsman 10-inch saw that I bought, you know, in the the late 80s, early 90s for, I don't know, and it might have been, you know, $100. thing was accurate as hell. Mm. I mean, it cut perfect. It only had like a, you know, a, a four-inch crosscut capacity or five-inch or whatever the hell it is. It's really small. Mm-hmm. But it was dead nuts 90. I used that thing for a long time. They have the twelve-inch ones now. So, anyways, I hope that answers your question, Zach. Buy a Capex, <laughs> <laughs> and you won't have this problem anymore. Uh, but if you know somebody that's got a, a Bosch, go take a look at that. Try it out. So, uh, I think that's going to do it for our show. Now comes the part of our show that everybody loves, where we talk about who. Sean is dating this week. What supermodel <laughs> did you have dinner with last week, Sean? It's none of your business. Oof. No. Moving on, let's talk about what we're doing in the shop. We, <laughs> <laughs> what do you got going on in the shop? Uh, quite a bit. Um, did a little bit of uh, shops on veneer and veneering of the back panel of uh, a little storage bench that I've been working on forever, um, and also. Uh, cut out the uh, drawer fronts and drawer sides for the drawer ca- for, for the cabinet itself. Uh, and then I, I got a quick turnaround job uh, with the CNC with a local uh, local aerospace company that asked for a fixture, a jig basically to hold one of their components. That was a lot of fun to work on. Uh, did it over the weekend and uh, delivered it on Monday. It was it was actually quite fun to do. But that's that's about it. How about you, Sean? What do you got going on, man? Uh, working on a side table. This is a originally it's going to be kind of like an outdoor table for my sister, but I think I'm going to keep it myself. And uh, it's a limited tool project that I'm recording. It's mainly using the bandsaw uh, as well as a couple of hand tools and uh, a router, handheld router. So it's it's coming along. I've got three or four coats of uh, wiping varnish on the base. Uh, pre-finishing it before I, I assemble the base and then I'm going to put the top and stuff together tomorrow. I'll have it done in a day or so, but, oh. uh, that's what I've got going on in the shop. What about you guy? In my shop here at home, not much because I don't have time to do anything <laughs> yeah. anymore, but at work, I've been really busy. I, I got those. I had like eight of these, I think they call them like, uh, it's come some kind of stupid table where the legs come up through the top. Yeah, I yeah. Built, I built like eight of those. Parsons table, I think is what they're called. Mm-hmm. I built like eight of those, and then I built this six-legged bar height countertop that was like nine feet long. Then I built – I made some plant stands for one of the, late, not for the nice ladies in, the, in our office. Oh. Yeah, little walnut plant stands. It was you know, very – very high tech stuff. Uh, I'm in, I'm currently building right now a reception desk for a customer. I have no idea who the end user is. It's a design firm that 
gave us a plan. You know, this, this thing is, it, it's from a designer, right? Mm-hmm. And they gave us like drawings. These are the worst drawings ever. I mean, you can't tell what the dimensions are in anything. They don't give you the dimensions you need. Ugh. From it's a designer? Like set- yeah, they're horrid. They're absolutely horrid. I complained today about it. I'm like, I can't, what the hell am I supposed to do? <laughs> it's like this, it says one thing here, but it says another thing here. And you can't really tell what they're referring to. And then they have the set, you know, there's a, it's like a rolling reception desk and it's got wheels underneath it. And it's got like a separate uh, toe kick that goes all the way around it. But they don't, you know, what's the setback for the tail kick? Well, we're going to assume two inches because that's a standard, but it doesn't, you know, these are architectural drawings. Mm-hmm. An architect design firm that doesn't have that measurement on there. And there, that's just one of the many measurements that we just don't know. So we're guessing at stuff. So I'm going to build this piece. <laughs> we'll go and deliver it. And they'll go, well, this is wrong. And this is wrong. It's like, wait, wait a second, Bubba. <laughs> um, so I got that going on and I did do a, I actually did a shot a video in my shop over the course of a couple of weekends. It took oh. me to do. So that hopefully will be coming to YouTube soon. As soon as I have time to edit it. Nice. So I guess that's going to do it for the show. And we would like to thank everyone who left us a five star review on iTunes. It really does help us in the search rankings. And of course we truly appreciate the support and feedback. Also remember that this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. And that's you guys out there listening. So if you have woodworking questions and you'd like answered, you can send it through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com. Boy, that's a hell of a long URL or DM us through Instagram at Woodshop Life. You can find me at guyswoodshop.com or guyswoodshop on Instagram. And where can you be found, We Alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Sean, how about you? Simplecove.com and at Simplecove everywhere else. All right. Cool. Well, uh, it was a lot of fun tonight, guys. And I, uh, I guess we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Talk See to you. you. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.